0: Man, yeah, my last study for now. It's crazy. It's good to see you all. Uh, it's been such a blessing, honestly, to be at this church and to have opportunities to teach. Um, I remember when I was a volunteer in the youth ministry and got opportunities opportunities to teach back then, and uh, it's just grown me so much as a person and as a follower of Jesus. Being having the privilege to study the Bible every week and pour into the scriptures, it's been something that in my own life, like I I wouldn't trade for anything, and I'm praying that in this next season in Oklahoma, that there'll be doors open to just continue preaching in different ways. So uh, you can pray for that, but I am excited to be here tonight, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, if you want to open there. Now, um, I am going to start, just because I'm me, I'm going to start with Star Wars, just (laughs) because it's what I do. So, remember the Empire Strikes Back? Anybody? The 80s? Okay. Empire Strikes Back, Luke Skywalker is training with Master Yoda on the swamp planet of Dagobah. And it's this epic time in his life because he needs to save his sister. He needs to save his best friend. He needs to confront his father, Darth Vader. And he discovers this cave, this dark cryptic cave. And he asks his mentor, Master Yoda, what's in there? And Yoda replies, only what you take with you which is weird because that's the first time he ever spoke in like a normal sentence structure. Normally, yeah, he's Yoda. Anyway, so Luke goes in to the cave, and it's full of darkness, and there he sees in the cave Darth Vader, his father, and so he gets into a fight with Vader, and it's this epic scene. He ends up chopping off Vader's head, and everyone in the theater is like, oh my gosh, he just defeated Vader, but then When Luke picks up the head of Vader and looks underneath the mask, he sees something horrifying. It's his own face. His face is underneath the mask. Now, what was the point the storyteller was trying to make? Well, think back to what Yoda said. Luke said, what's in the cave? And Yoda said, only what you take with you. You see Luke was coming face to face with his own darkness. The reality is that if he gave into his dark side, he had a huge chance of becoming just as evil as his father. And it's it's so deep and it's so good. And it, and it and it just it brings me to the title of tonight's message which is face your darkness. And the reality is none of us like to do that. None of us like to face our darkness. We don't like to face our own sin and it makes sense because most of us don't like to face any of our own imperfections. We wake up We look in the mirror and we're like, I have to fix this. Like, this is wrong. This is broken. Uh, Something needs to happen here. Uh, Why do we use filters on social media? Why do we use filters on Instagram? It's to hide our imperfections. Uh, There's even apps out there that will make your skin look better. You know, you can take a picture and hit a button and all of a sudden all your imperfections go away. We're experts at hiding our flaws. And the reality is we hide these flaws from ourselves we tend to not like to bring up our dark side. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I much rather would hear about how people like me and how I'm doing well than what I'm doing wrong. I don't know if you ever struggle with this, but I know growing up, uh, whenever my mom would point out something I was doing wrong, I would tend to tune her out, and I would start fidgeting with things, and I would start thinking about anything besides the discipline I was receiving. I don't know if that's just me, but as humans, I think we tend to not want to think about our own problems. We, we tend to sweep those things under the rug. We don't like to face our own darkness, which is a bad thing because the Bible says that we need to face that darkness. In James chapter 1, verse 23 through 25, James says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at himself, observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not forgetful hearer, but doer of the work, this is one who will be blessed. You see, Scripture is like a mirror that reveals to us our need for a Savior. In today's story, we're going to see Peter talking to a crowd of Jews who desperately need to face their own darkness. And God is going to use Peter to speak to them. And I pray that he uses me in the same way right now. In fact, let's, let's pray. Lord, we ask that your spirit would fall upon this place. We ask that you would speak in a mighty way. God, that you would speak in the way that only your spirit can, God. I'm just a man up here speaking without your spirit, Lord. If I don't have your spirit, I'm, I'm literally, I'm just a human being making noises. But with your spirit, God, your scriptures, your heart, and your word, Jesus Christ, can speak to us in deep and profound ways. So I pray tonight that your spirit would transform us and change us and help us, Lord, to look within, but then not just look within, but look beyond and look to you. We love you, God, and we ask this in your name, amen. Amen. Okay, so here's the recap of what happened last week. See, Peter and John were two leaders of the early church. They were disciples of Jesus Christ, and they're walking down the street when they see a lame man near the temple. This guy was lame and he could not walk from birth. And the man asks for money, but Peter and John say, Hey, we're broke, but we have something way better than money. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man gets up, and he begins walking and leaping and praising God. This is a a crazy event. It is the, the first major miracle of the early church. And I think something to note is, you know, Peter and John didn't debate this guy into the kingdom. A lot of times we do that these days. We try to debate people into the kingdom. They didn't, when the guy said, hey, do you have silver and gold? They didn't spend an hour talking to him about like the pitfalls of money and like money is the root of all evil. And like, let me tell you why you're a bad person. Actually, they witnessed. You see, being a witness is not standing there and trying to debate somebody. No, when you're a witness, it's you've seen something. You've witnessed something happen. It's changed you and you cannot help but share it. That's the perspective of Peter and John. They see this lame man and they're like, hey, we have witnessed Jesus. We have experienced Jesus. We have seen his power. And now we pass it to you. No, Jesus, stand up and walk. Now we pick it up with what happens later. So imagine the scene. The guy has been healed Imagine somebody here at the church that you've known your entire life here at the church, and they've always been sick. They always have been unable to walk. And now they, let's just imagine, look look at those back doors. Let's just imagine those doors burst open and somebody is just doing cartwheels and backflips and just shouting like, oh, I've been healed. This is amazing. Walking and leaping and praising God. We'd be amazed if we looked at that guy and we're like, that guy's been in a wheelchair every day for his entire life. And now he's doing cartwheels. This is like my mind is being blown right now. So that's what's going on. People are looking and they're freaking out. So now let's pick it up in verse 11 and we're going to see how Peter responds. So, Verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, he's clinging to them. He's just, he's so excited. All the people were astonished and they came running to them in the place that's called Solomon's colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, or just guys, guys, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by your own power or or godliness, we made this man walk? No, listen, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. The first thing I want to talk about tonight is how there is power in the name of Jesus. I love how the first thing Peter goes to is just Jesus. He speaks the name. So often, we're reluctant to speak the name of Jesus. We live in a culture where a lot of people say Jesus but it's usually like when they stub their toe or something. It's not necessarily saying his name in the right context. You see, I think what I've noticed is the second you bring up Jesus seriously, it kind of makes people uncomfortable. Why is that? Well, it's because there's, there's power in the name of Jesus. Like, that is a loaded name. It, it's full of so much. And to the average person, when you bring it up, like, they're like, is this going to get religious? Like, what's going to go on? Like, are we going to talk about beliefs? And, and it's, it's something that makes people uncomfortable because it's, it's coming face to face with the question of who is God? Who is he? What is he about? And I think, honestly, at least for me, like, <laughs> In a culture where the most important name is Jesus, that's not how we often think. A lot of times we try to spread our own name. I did that my entire life. When I was a kid, I was very needy for attention. Uh, didn't really feel like I had a lot of friends, and I was constantly trying to impress people. So I was the class clown in my classroom, constantly getting set out of the room by Fred Boshaw and Dave Stanford. you're in here. Yeah, Dave would send me out. In the, you'd send me out in the hallway and you'd make me write the Gettysburg Address, like 20 times. It' was good times. And, uh, <laughs> thanks, Dave. Um, and. As I grew older, there was still this like, need for getting my name out there. I started my own business when I was 15 doing graphics design and web, and I remember just going door to door, passing out my business cards and trying to get people to recognize my work. I, I started a YouTube channel at a young age and had a little tiny taste of success and fame and, and got some followers and fans and some people interested in what we were doing, and I just remember living for the likes and the comments and the subscribes, just this this endless need for my name being out there. But in the end, you know what? It was absolutely empty. It didn't actually give any fulfillment. And now, as a 29-year-old, I understand that the only point of my life should be spreading the name of Jesus. You know, I'm heading into a season in my life where I'm going to be working outside the church walls. Um, I've, I've worked at a church for almost the last decade. It's all I've known for most of my adult life. And I'm heading into a season where I'm going to have to get back out there and pass out my business cards and try to get clients and people. But you know what? I'm so glad that I learned the lesson because as I'm entering into this next season of my life, I'm entering with this fresh vision and purpose because what I understand is whether I work at a church or not, my mission is to make Jesus known. And you know, it's so important to realize this because I can't save anyone. Like Aaron Salvado cannot save anyone. I realized that a long time ago. And I, I could feed a million starving people and I should help the poor. I should help the needy. But without Jesus, even if I feed people, even if I help people, even if I serve people, without Jesus, they're just as worse as they were before I encountered them. Jesus is the answer for everything. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I've been able to go all around the world and preach Jesus. Uh, I mean, uh, do you know why we at Calvary Vista, do you know why we preach Jesus? Do you know why we do it? Some of you guys are probably thinking like, oh, because well, it's your job. Wrong. We preach we preach Jesus so that you can take what you learn and so you can walk out these doors and you can make the name of Jemus. <laughs> Not, don't, I don't know who Jemus is. <laughs> don't make him famous. Please don't leave here and go make Jemus famous. No, um... We preach so that you can take the things that you learn about Jesus and you can go and preach in your family group, in your friends group, in your workplace. You live out the gospel with your words and actions. That's what it's about. We're expecting you as fellow disciples to carry these teachings onward in your life. And you could be like, whoa, dang, that's, that, that's crazy. Like, that makes me feel like, like church is kind of like a big deal. Like it's not just like, oh, I'm filling my Christian quota for the week. You know, it's time to check off my list and make sure I went to church. No, it's not what it's about. Church is not about you and it's not about me. The purpose of the church is not so you can come and get encouragement. If you come and get encouragement, that's that's great. That's fantastic. Often you will be encouraged, but it's not the point. The point is for us to worship God, to be filled up each week so we can go and be poured out, to learn about Jesus so we can go and make him famous. Amen. Amen. wasn't sure if you were with me. Cool. So Peter preaches Jesus. And you know, I was listening to uh, one of my favorite pastors, Josh White, talk about the, the problem with testimonies. Usually testimonies, sometimes, often it's 90% kind of like bragging about your sinful past uh, and 10% Jesus at the end. Like he was saying, you know, he used to go to camps as a kid and there was always some guy who was like, oh yeah, man, I was a meth dealer when I was 12. And then he like talked about that for an hour. And then at the very end, it was a little bit about Jesus. You know, you get some guy and he's like, yeah, I lied and I stole and I robbed and I kidnapped the president's son and held him for ransom and I never got caught neither. And you're, there's like five of you who know what I'm talking about. Anyway, it's a joke from a show. <laughs> I shouldn't have put that in there. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's my last study. Anyway. Um, yeah. Anyway. So here's the contrast with Peter. Like, think about Peter. Peter had an interesting story, right? He's a fisherman who is wandering the seas fishing, and then a Jewish itinerant rabbi named Jesus shows up and says, hey, drop your nets and follow me. And Peter's a guy who walked on water. He's a guy who's witnessed resurrections from the dead. He's a guy who has, like, actually performed miracles himself. But who does Peter talk about? He talks about Jesus. He focuses on Jesus because he knows there's power in simply speaking about Jesus. If you're here and you struggle and you're like, I don't have a testimony. I wasn't some crazy prostitute or drug dealer or anything like that. You're like, I, I, I grew up in the church. Like I went to Sunday school and then I got like a job and went to church my whole life. And that's just who I am. Like I'm here today and, and I'm just, I'm a Christian. You know what? If you're here and you struggle and you think I don't have a testimony, the story of Jesus is powerful enough. And sometimes it's hard to talk about Jesus. It's hard to talk about Jesus. Did you know in Peter's day, Christianity was considered a cult? Seriously, think about it. Peter grew up in a land of Judaism. That is what every single person practiced in the region. Every good God-fearing person was somebody who practiced Judaism. Christianity springs up and says, hey, all that stuff in the Old Testament was great, but it wasn't enough. We actually are building to now Jesus coming, being the Messiah and the King of Kings, and there's this whole new dynamic and whole new way to live. Like, it, it would be like, just picture this, dad is up here preaching And some guy with a long flowing beard like comes on the scene and he's like, hey, actually like everything you know is not the real answer. There's more. Like you'd be like, no, no. Like we're not gonna go with that. Like that's a cult. This is what the Christians were dealing with. They were viewed in this way. It wasn't obvious to everyone that they were the the truth. And Peter is trying to explain to them, this is not some new religion. This is the fulfillment of everything that Judaism was ever about. It was never about religion. It was always about a relationship. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, it was about a separated relationship between God and man, and Jesus was the one who restored and brought the relationship back together. Peter wants these Jews in the crowd to meet Jesus. So he begins to preach the second Christian sermon ever preached. The first sermon was on Pentecost. This is now the second Christian sermon. And so his focus is on Jesus, and he gives Jesus several different titles that we're gonna look at briefly today, because they help us understand who Jesus is and what he did. So let's look at the first. The first title that he gives Jesus is servant. Jesus the servant. Look at verse 13. He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. The first title he gives Jesus is servant. Peter was reminding them of this thing they would have known from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, a prophet that every good Jewish boy and girl would have read, he talked about a suffering servant. He prophesied. This is from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah Isaiah writes, yet he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Jesus was the suffering servant that the prophets talked about. He was there washing the feet of the disciples, even though he shouldn't have been doing that. He's a king. People should be washing his feet. But that's just what Jesus is all about, flipping things upside down. Jesus would talk about how when you throw a party, what do you do? You give your best friends the best seats, stragglers who come in the back. You're like, hey, there's a little bit of room for you in the back, you know, but these seats are reserved for the important people. Jesus said, no, the important people should be the ones reserving the seats for the stragglers and the poor and the beggars who come in the back. And then the the rich and the powerful people are the ones who should be saying, Hey, you, you guys take the best seat in the house. Like, we'll go sit in the corner. It's this upside down kingdom that Jesus was all about. He was known as a servant. He came as a king, but he presented himself as a servant, healing and feeding and helping. Think of the most popular person you know, the most powerful person you know. Are they known as a servant? Do you often see that person hanging around after everyone is left to clean? And and really, who do we idolize in our culture? The CEO or the janitor? Who do we want to grow up to be? But Jesus flips it all on its head, and Jesus shows us the value in being a servant. The second title that Peter gives is Savior. Jesus the Savior. And we see this title in verse 13. And you might be thinking, well, the word Savior isn't actually in there. Like, I read it. It doesn't say Savior. Well, the, the title savior can actually be found in the actual name of Jesus. You see, Jesus's name in Hebrew was Yeshua, which is Hebrew. It's, it's basically Yahshua, which is Joshua. And the name Joshua means rescuer, deliverer, Yahweh saves, God saves. Anyone here named Josh? Well done. So you're, you have a cool name. It's awesome. I want to remind you today that Jesus is your Savior. He's the one who saves. When we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about him as just a great teacher or historical figure. We're talking about him in the way that his name declares him to be the humble servant king, the Savior of the world. As saved people, let me ask you this As saved people, are we talking about our Savior? This hit me. When I was studying this, I was convicted. I was really convicted because honestly, like, I like to think that I'm someone who talks about Jesus a lot, but I mean, just honestly, like, I talk about Jesus a lot with youth group kids. So when I'm at the grocery store or when I'm at the beach, like, talking about Jesus isn't the main thing on my mind. It's usually like, how can I just live my life right now? But you know what? We've been saved. Like,. (laughs) if you had an uncurable disease that a bunch of other people had, and then you were given the cure for free, wouldn't you want to talk about that? If you saw somebody, if you were walking and you saw someone and they, you recognize that they had the disease that you used to have before you were cured and you had that cure in your pocket, like wouldn't you want to approach them? Like I think every single one of us just out of the goodness of our heart, the decency of, of being a good human being, there's a lot of us here who like we would have that natural compassion But the reality is there's so many people who need saving, and we have been saved. And we live in a culture where, you know, we love talking about stuff. I love talking about stuff. I love talking about Marvel movies. You obviously know I like talking about Star Wars. Um, And, I mean, CrossFit. If you do CrossFit, like, everyone in your life probably knows about it. Uh, If you're a vegan, like, everyone around you probably knows. If you are into essential oils, you probably talk about that a lot. But what about Jesus? Like, are we talking about him? I love what Josh White says. He says, if we are not preaching Jesus, we are not functioning as the church. That's like one of the main functions of the church. It's convicting, but that's good. The third title that he gives is Holy. Jesus the Holy One. Look at verse 14. Oh, and just so you know, like this message is, it's, it's pretty heavy. I mean, hopefully you figured that out when you read the title, Face, the, Face Your Darkness. Um, but this is a heavy message. And I was like, thanks, dad, for assigning me this passage. <laughs> he has a history of assigning me like really heavy passages. Um, so this is like, hey, guys, see, I'm going to Oklahoma. Here's some heaviness. You know what? It's good. It's in the Bible. Let's preach it. Okay, so uh, title number three, Jesus the Holy One. Verse fourteen, Peter says, "You disowned the holy and righteous one, and asked that a murderer be released to you." Here's a here's a quick explanation of holiness. He talks about Jesus as the holy one. Holy. When I was growing up, I thought it just meant being perfect, and that was always really daunting because God was like, "Be perfect, like me," and I was like, "I can't." (laughs) Um, Holiness in the Bible it doesn't just mean perfect. In God's context, it does mean perfect, but in the bigger context, holiness means set apart. It means something that is so different and unique that it's like, we're like, whoa, that's holy. (laughs) That's incredible. Like you look at the sun. The sun is so different than us. It's like, if you tried to travel to the sun, you would get burned. You would get wiped out. Because the son is so powerful and big and different than you. In the same way, God is holy. Like you can't just waltz into God's presence pre-Jesus, without Jesus. Like Moses tried and his hair got turned white. Like, and he just got a little glimpse. So God is holy. And, and, And Peter says here, Jesus is the holy one and you betrayed him. You disowned him. And you asked that a murderer be released to you. Israel was called to be holy, a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests is a kingdom of people who are meant to connect with God. A a people who are meant to connect other people to God. That's what a priest does. A priest stands in the gap between God and man and says, hey man, let me introduce you to my God. That is who Israel was called to be, holy, set apart, a kingdom of priests. But they failed. And the reality is Jesus is the only one who is truly holy and set apart. So what does Peter says? He says, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. He's saying, hey, do you remember what happened? Pilate wanted to release Jesus. Like Pilate was there. Jesus was standing there and Pilate was like, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. Like, why don't we just let him go? And you people betrayed Jesus. You said, no, I would rather have a murderer. The Holy One came and you disowned him. Can you feel like the the tension building in this passage? This is a really intense thing that Peter is saying to these guys. And then it gets even more intense. He says this, you killed the author of life. That is a heavy statement. That's a theological bomb being dropped on these guys. He says, you killed the author of life. In verse 14, he reminds them of Barabbas. And he says, you release somebody who was a killer, someone who ended other people's life, and you killed the person who began all of our lives. That is heavy. That's like freeing a mass murderer and then putting your mother in the electric chair, the one who gave you life, right? This is heavy, heavy stuff. And man, this is scary to preach for my last message, but the reality is humanity, like Jesus' death is on our hands. He died for our sins. Like, sometimes we can read this stuff and we think, oh, well, yeah, I mean, when Jesus died, like, it was the Romans who killed him. It was the Jews who killed him. But it wasn't just them. It was us. It was humanity. The title number four is, yeah, the author of life. Jesus is the one who gave us breath. He's the author, not just of our life, but guess what? He's the author of our salvation. Hebrews 12, two says this, we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith for who the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the one who built our salvation. I'm going to Oklahoma and there are tornadoes out there and sometimes you'll be, I've been to Oklahoma, and you'll just be hanging out, drinking some iced tea, talking with your grandma, and all of a sudden you'll hear a siren, and you're like, oh, I have to go get in the storm shelter because there's a tornado that could destroy everything. It's just like a regular thing, and we have earthquakes here. They have tornadoes there. It's great. And when you run into a storm shelter, it keeps you safe, but that storm shelter didn't just generate itself. It was built. Someone built that. Sometimes for those of us who've been in the church a long time, salvation just feels like something we got when we were born. It just feels like something that came with us. But in reality, our salvation, is, it's not something that just exists. It's not a right that we all have just by being born. Our salvation had to be built. Salvation is a house that Jesus built using the nails and wood from the cross. He painted the doors with his own blood. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says he did this for the joy that was set before him. Do you know what that joy was? It was you. For the joy that was set before him, it was you. Sometimes I've seen some churches interpret that verse to say the joy set before him was the opportunity to return to the glory of his father. I think that's a part of it, but I think that's sincerely missing out on the fact that Jesus loves us. Like um, we are his joy. I mean, he already had the father's love. He didn't have to earn it on the cross. He already had the glory of God. He didn't have to earn it on the cross. He didn't have to earn anything. He wanted a relationship with you. Jesus loves you. You're his pride and joy. Any of you guys here have ki- children and, and you feel like, man, that, they're my pride and joy. Any of you guys feel that way here? Yeah, it's amazing. Some of you really need to hear this tonight. Jesus takes pride and joy in you. And some of you guys don't feel that way because you realize you're a sinner and you mess up. And you feel like, man, I can never be as spiritual as her. I can never be as spiritual as him. I can, I can never be as good a Christian as him or her. And we, we uh, I just, man, I grew up, not because of anything my parents said, but just growing up as a Christian, I constantly felt like I had to earn God's love. I constantly felt like, if I just read my Bible more this week than I did last week, God will love me more. If I just go to church more times, God will love me more. Like it was just this constant feeling that like I wasn't enough. I don't know why. I think it's just a part of growing up in the church sometimes. The reality is some of you guys here are older than me and you still need to hear this. You are Jesus's pride and joy. He loves you so much. The, the insane thing is he loved us so much, even though he knew we would kill him, he died for us. He came for us. What kind of father knows that his kids are going to murder him and still loves them anyway? Like, and sacrifices everything. Like, if you had a kid, but then like, you know, you had like some crazy future telling device and it told you like, oh, yeah, you know, when your kid reaches the age of six, they're going to murder you in cold blood. Like, (laughs) I mean, kids are scary enough. Like I don't have kids yet, but if I ever wake up in the middle of the night and I see my kids like just standing there, like in a white dress, like staring at me, like I'm going to like throw a pillow at them and run and like lock all the doors. Um, But let's say like, I'm just like, seriously, think about this. Let's say you knew for a fact that at a certain age, your kid would kill you. Like I wouldn't raise that kid. I'd, I'd drop him off at the orphanage, but I wouldn't raise them. I don't think that makes me a bad person. But Jesus knew that we would kill him. He didn't have to make us. He didn't have to love us, but he did. That's crazy, insane love. That he was willing to die to fix the relationship with him that we broke. He was willing to let us drive nails into his hands. Humanity, he was willing to let us kill him. That is so deeply profound that like, I, I'm, I get goosebumps right now just thinking about the weight of how much he loves us. So the main point that Peter is making here today is we need to face our darkness. He's talking to these Jewish people and saying, "Guys, realize what you've done." He's not trying to come down on them and convict he's not trying to condemn them. He's not trying to say you're horrible people. He's trying to say you're people who are in need of a savior. And I think that's God's word for today. I mean, honestly, we don't like to admit that we're sinners. We don't like to look at our own flaws. It reminds me of one of my favorite literary characters, Jean Valjean. Anyone ever read Les Mis, Les Miserables, or see the the movie recently? So Jean Valjean, he's a French prisoner. He stole a loaf of bread to feed his nephew who was starving. And he gets thrown into a prison ship as a slave for 19 years doing hard labor. Five years for stealing, another 14 because he tries to escape. And the police release him finally, put him on parole. And at the start of the film, he just hates everybody. At the start of the play or the book or whatever medium you uh, experience this in, at the start of it, he hates everybody and he's angry and he blames everything on the evils of the world. He's self-righteous. But then he ends up meeting Jesus in an incredible way through the kindness of a stranger. And Valjean is homeless, but a, a priest lets him stay the night. And Valjean at first is thankful, but then his dark nature kicks in, and instead of trusting God for his provision, he steals from the priest silver candlesticks. He goes right back to what got him imprisoned in the first place, and the police capture him, and they bring him to the police, or they bring him to the priest to press charges. And in this beautiful scene, the priest says, oh, he didn't steal the silver. I gave it to him. It's a present. Yeah, let him go. He, he's a friend. And then the priest kneels down next to Valjean and tells him, hey, God has a purpose for you. Live for him and this priest totally shows him the love of Christ and forgiveness and a chance at redemption it's it's so good and then in my favorite scene Valjean kneels in the chapel and sings this prayer called Valjean's soliloquy it's this conversation between him and God and i'll read you some of the lyrics because they're super powerful he says this what have i done sweet jesus what have i done i've become a thief in the night become a dog on the run have i fallen so far is the hour so late that nothing remains but the cry of my hate the cries in the dark that nobody hears Here, where I stand at the turning of the years, my life was this war that could never be won. They gave me a number and they murdered Valjean. When they chained me and left me for dead, just for stealing this mouthful of bread. So first, he's he's looking at his problems and he addresses the reality of his own darkness and sin. He's like, "What have I become?" And and then he reflects on the actions of the priest. He says, "Yet why did I allow that man to touch my soul and teach me love? He treated me like any other. He gave me his trust and he called me brother." My life, he claims, for God above. Can such things be? I'd come to hate the world, this world that always hated me. One word from him and I'd be back beneath the lash upon the rack. Instead, he offers me my freedom. I feel the shame inside me like a knife. He told me that I have a soul. How does he know? What spirit comes to move my life? Is there another way to go? So good. And then this epic closer as he's just wrestling this this dramatic climax of the song. He says, I'm reaching, but I fall. The night is closing in as I stare into the void, to the whirlpool of my sin. I'll escape now from that world, from the world of Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean is nothing now. Another story must begin. I love that. It's this epic story of this guy who faces his own darkness, repents, and he spends the rest of his life trying to help other people and serve others. It's, it's this epic story. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. But let me ask you this, as we wrap up. Are you here today and have you faced your own darkness? Have you come to terms with your own darkness lately? We need to realize that we, humanity, murdered God And when we sin, we continue to murder God in our hearts. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. I'm not saying that we continue to kill Jesus. He died once for our sins. But what I am saying is it's this crazy thing when you realize that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for sins past, present, and future. That should give us a lot of pause considering sins that we are gonna commit in the future. That really makes me want to avoid sin. Because the reality is, when I sin, when you sin, we are hurting God's heart. He is there and his heart breaks to watch us, his children, make these mistakes. He loves us so much, our sin hurts him. When we give our devotion to anything besides Jesus, we hurt him. When we sin against our friends and our family and God, we hurt the Lord. Sin is not just the little things that we do. Sin is the rejection of Jesus's rule in our life. It's not just a list of things that we're not supposed to do. Sin is when we say to Jesus, I want to live my own life. I don't want you to be the one who is in control. It's saying, Jesus, I can't let you be king because I need to be on the throne. Verse 15 says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. God has always been about taking what the enemy meant for evil and turning it to good. The ultimate example we see of this is on the cross. Think about the cross. Jesus is on that cross and the enemy is just throwing all of the world's evil at Jesus, trying to destroy him. The cross was Satan's attempt to destroy the son of God. He wasn't very smart because he didn't realize that was impossible, but he tried. He threw every amount of evil at Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He takes that evil, absorbs it into himself, and then like just cleanses it. He takes that and then builds this bridge between us and God to save us. The bridge that we can cross over and to be with God again. This is good news. And really the, the point of preaching, this is what Peter is touching on he's he's playing into basically what the point of preaching is. Peter is speaking to these guys and he's touching on some things that are guilty in their own heart and it's a good thing that he does. Because preaching it's not about creating guilt inside of people, but it is about breaking through their fantasies. A lot of us we run on ideas about ourselves and the world that are not true. We constantly live in our own fantasies, believing the lies of Satan. Here's what I mean. Thinking that you can lie to your parents and not have it hurt your relationship with them and God, that's a fantasy. Thinking you can neglect your wife and that Jesus has nothing to say about it just as long as you come to church every Sunday, that's a fantasy. Thinking you can look at pornography and not have it affect you, That's a fantasy thinking you can date that guy or girl who's not following Jesus and everything's going to work out fine. You're just going to missionary date them into the kingdom of God and everything's going to be real. Like that's, these are fantasies and we give ourselves to these fantasies and think everything is going to be fine. We need to wake up to the reality. Satan is real. Sin is real. Hell is real. And Satan is trying to bring as many people as he can there. And listen, if you're here today and you're saved, know you're saved, but know that even if you're saved, Satan's like, well, I can't take you to hell, but I want to make your life as a Christian living hell. I want to rob you of your potential. I want to rob you of your relationship with God. I want to make you just so just consumed with this cycle of sin and guilt and sin and guilt and sin and guilt. That's what Satan loves to do. We need to wake up to the reality that heaven is real. And Jesus is real. And Jesus did everything possible to make a way for us not only to go to heaven, but to live a life filled with heaven, a life experiencing the kingdom of God. The gospel is not meant to convict us, or the gospel is meant to convict us, not condemn us. There's a difference. There's a difference. You should never leave these church services feeling condemned. But I do hope and pray that you leave week after week and feel convicted. (laughs) I pray that I leave week after week and feel convicted. If we don't see a need to be saved from anything, why on earth would we turn to the one who can save us? Think about this. If you're walking down the sidewalk and some guy runs up to you and throws his hand and says, hurry, take my hand, I'll save you. And you like look around and there's no like meteor coming or like no car's about to hit you. It's just some random guy who's like, take my hand, it's going to be okay. Like, are you going to take his hand? No, you're going to be like, who are you? I'm calling the police. Like, I need to be saved from you. But if you're falling off a building, I don't care who that person is. It could be the worst, the creepiest person ever. But if they throw their hand out, you're going to take it because you know in that moment that you need saving. And the reality is a lot of us, we don't realize that we are often falling off the side of the building. To us we are living in a fantasy where we have our feet firmly planted on the ground and we don't realize we're falling. This might be you if any time a pastor starts talking about sin from the stage your mind immediately goes to, "Oh man, I wish she was here. She needs to hear this." "I wish he was here." Like, "Man, he's a sinner." If that's where your mind goes, you just might be a sinner. <laughs> we all are. I am. We n- we need the gospel. Isn't it sad when someone doesn't realize their problems? Man, I I remember I I was hanging out with a young adults group recently with Jamie Urbina, our young adults pastor, our college pastor, and we were in there and and Scotty was setting up the music and playing and and all of a sudden we heard the scream outside and we ran outside and there was these two homeless people fighting There's this one guy, he looked like John Lennon. He had like a big floppy hat and a beard. And he was literally dragging this woman by her hair. And she was screaming and he was hitting her. And it was just, it was so, it was so crazy. And we went and we were trying to stop it. And we had to call the police and we had to tell the guy to back off. And it was just, it was this crazy scene. And the crazy thing was, at the end of that, the police had arrested the guy. He's in the squad car and he's driving away, and the woman is like, I love you, baby. I can't wait till you get out. I love you. He's like, I love you. I'm gonna come see you. And it was like, they they were literally just fighting, like beating each other up. It's sad when people don't see their problems. Don't be like that. See your darkness for what it is, and ask for help from Jesus. These messages should be heart surgery. In the message, Peter makes them feel the weight of their sin and offers them a solution. It's Jesus. He says, the power is in Jesus. And here's the thing. You can be here and not know Jesus. Or you can know Jesus, but you can resist all the work he wants to do in your heart. You won't face your darkness. You're like a piece of clay and the potter's trying to mold you and you're jumping off. You're like, no, I don't want that. Like, that's what we do. God can't do anything unless you soften your heart. He's not gonna force you. It's not that God is powerless against you. But God is a He's a God who does not force Himself on anybody. He, he, he looks at you, and if you don't want to submit to Him, He's not going to make you, but you're going to miss out. You can be saved and still have a hard heart. Are you convicted today? Is your heart hard? And it's just in closing, I just want to point to the reality of how God reacts to human guilt. Maybe you're here today and you feel guilty. Listen, the way that God reacts to human guilt is with love and grace and a way of escape. Let's finish the chapter. Look at verse 17 through 18. I'm I'm going to read this in a different version. It's a paraphrase, so just read along on the screen. It's more of like a modern translation, but he says this, and now friends, I know you had no idea what you were doing when you killed Jesus, and neither did your leaders. But God, who through the preaching of all the prophets had said all along that his Messiah would be killed, knew exactly what you would be doing and used it to fulfill his plans. Verse 19 Now it's time to change your ways. Turn to face God so he can wipe away your sins. And and then he'll pour out showers of blessings to refresh you and send you the Messiah he prepared for you, namely Jesus. For the time being, he must remain out of sight in heaven until everything is restored to order again, just the way God through the preaching of his holy prophets of old said it would be. Moses, for instance, said, your God will raise up for you a prophet just like me from your family. Listen to every word that he speaks to you. Every last living soul who refuses to listen to that prophet will be wiped out from the people. Verse 24, all the prophets from Samuel on down said the same thing. They said most emphatically these days would come. These prophets, along with the covenant God made with your ancestors, they're your family tree. God's covenant word to Abraham provides the text by your offspring. All the families of the earth will be blessed. But you are first in line. God, having raised up his son, sent him to bless you as you turn one by one from your evil ways. He's talking about repentance. Without repentance, there can be no salvation. A lot of times when we hear the word repent, it's usually like we think of some street preacher like, repent, sinners, and it's just this very like angry. Just, you know, we think God, he's, God's literally like, he's holding this fireball and he's like, you better repent or I'm going to throw this at you. you repent. Like, that's how we think of the Lord <laughs> often. But you know what? I, I was listening to a, a podcast the other day and they were breaking down the meaning of the word repent. And in Hebrew, it's basically just turn. It's just turn. It's just, you're going one way, now turn. And, and God is this loving father who sees us sinning, and he's like, hey, turn. Repent. You're destroying yourself. Just turn. Turn to me. Turn from your old ways of thinking. For the Jews in this chapter, it's turn from your old religious, works-based mentality, and turn to the Savior that you've been waiting for your entire life who's right in front of you. And you killed him, and he still loves you. And he sent me, Peter, even though you killed him, and Peter really likes reminding them about that over and over again, but he's like, Even though you killed him, he loves you and he's here for you. Turn to him, repent. For us, we're not Jews in that cultural context, but we are here today as human beings. And for us, we need to turn from this idea that Christianity is just about Sundays and Wednesdays. We need to turn from this idea that we can just live our life and and say, a few prayers here and there and not actually follow Jesus. We need to turn to the one who loves us and is preparing great works for us to do, Ephesians says. He's already prepared those works for you to step into. He loves you. And man, you know, I'll just, I don't know if we're going to do another song or anything. I'm not sure. That'd be cool possibly, but if not, I'll, I'll just close with this. I am a sinner, And I have struggled with the sin of doubt recently, going through all the stuff we're going through and the move and and just trying to figure out what am I, what am I? Like I used, I, I was working at a church and now I don't work anywhere. And it's like, I'm trying to do this thing. And it's like, I've been stressing and I've been trying to like save myself. I've been trying to do all these things and do all these side jobs. And like, I've been trying to save myself. I literally had a nervous breakdown a few weeks ago, just got so stressed out. I, I, I came home from church and I was trying to work for this client to, to, to help our situation. And, and, and I literally was like sitting at my computer and my chest got tight and my heart was racing and I felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was gonna pass out and I had to call my wife and be like, hey, talk me down, help me through this. I've never experienced that. And the Lord was speaking to me and he was like, Aaron, this is sin. And you know what? Sin, we, we think of it as like, oh, this grave mortal sin. a, a Sin is a mistake, It's when we, in a moment, turn to something besides God. And for me, I was trying to turn to my own skills, my own abilities to make things work. And what God has been speaking to me over and over again lately is your identity, Aaron, is your child of God. Like your identity is not youth pastor or guy who started a nonprofit or like Oklahoma guy or California guy or whatever. Your identity is your son of God and you're loved. And that's what matters. And God, in these moments, He's call, he, he was he, lately he's been calling me to repent and repent from my struggle of trying to fix my own problems and do things on my own and instead rely on Jesus. And you know what? That repentance has been so sweet lately. It's been so good to let go and, and stop being such a control freak and just saying, man, things are stressful. That's not going away. Like stress still exists, but God is with me in this situation. And for you, I just want you to understand he, he loves you. All right. (laughs) So, I'm going to pray. And just simply, if you're here and you feel like you need to repent in some way, to turn from some sin or some struggle in your life, like, do not, please, do not be somebody who just looks at other people and says they need to repent, but I'm fine Every single one of us struggles with something we need. Repentance is good. I'm realizing more and more it should be a regular part of the weekly experience of being a Christian, turning from our false ways of thinking, not, not just turning from, from sins, but turning from wrong ways of thinking about the world and ourselves, and instead turning to the reality that God loves us so much. So let's pray, and if, and if you're here and if you need that repentance in any way, just turn to the Lord right now. Jesus, we love you. I thank you so much for this amazing group of people that I've grown up with my entire life. And there's, man, this church is so full of people who love you, people who are just full of the spirit and godly and great examples who've taught me in so many ways. But God, I, I, I realize, Lord, as amazing as the people in this church are, we all struggle with some inner darkness we all deal with struggles and sins and anxieties and, and fears and doubts and discouragements. And, and so often, God, I'm, I'm so reluctant to face that darkness because I wanna think of myself as great and I wanna think about all the compliments people have given me and I wanna ignore any criticism or anything, Lord, that you point out in my life. And, and Lord, I just repent from that right now. And Lord, I, I, just, I just ask that if there's anyone here that is feeling the same things, and realizing that there's darkness in their own life. Help them to repent now as we worship. Help them to turn to you. Lord, we thank you that you're the father who just, <laughs> when, when a child just messes up and gets food on their face, Lord, it's a beautiful picture to see the child turn to their father and the father just wipe that mess off their face. That's what you, that's what you do for us, Lord. We mess up all the time, and, and you're, you're there with a hand not to strike us, Lord, but to save us from ourselves. We ask, Jesus, that you would not just save us from hell, but that you'd save us from our sins on a daily basis. Help us to grow. We love you, Jesus. We thank you so much. I thank you for this church. I love you, Lord. In your name, amen.